Thank you. How's everybody doing today? I want to start by just thanking everyone who's contributed to this service so far. It's been amazing. Katie and Sarah, thank you for sharing your stories. They're incredibly encouraging, and it's wonderful to hear. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, hopefully you ate a little less food than I did. I ate a lot. A lot of food. Um, and now we're in that awkward phase of three days after Thanksgiving, you still have turkey, you don't want to throw it away, and you don't know what to do with it. A few years back, shortly after I married uh, my wife Angie, I was in that same predicament, and I wasn't sure what to do. It was day three or day four. I tried everything I could. I really like spaghetti, and sometimes you put chicken on spaghetti, so I thought, I'll just make spaghetti and I'll put turkey in it, and it was a bad idea. So don't, don't do that today, unless you love spaghetti and turkey in that combination. Just, uh, it's not great. Happy birthday to Glenn. I was thinking maybe on my birthday next year you can come to school for me and I can just have a day. Before we get going on this sermon, I just wanted to open this in prayer. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Dear God, thank you for this amazing service this morning. Um, it's raining outside, but I'm glad that everyone made it in safely. I pray that you be with everyone who's still traveling for Thanksgiving. pray that they make it home safely. And I pray that you can just speak through me today that your words be spoken, not mine. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's see if I can get this clicker figured out. Perfect. So we are now officially in the holiday season. Thanksgiving is over. I turned on the radio yesterday. I like K-Love. And it is completely Christmas music. There is, for the next month, that's all we're going to hear. Um, that means music, decorations, food, and candy. So today I've titled this Red Skittle Number 3. That's the name of this sermon. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's going to make a little bit more sense here in, in a little while. Um, this isn't a perfect analogy, but I think it's going to work and do, do what we need it to today. So I want you to imagine that you have a large glass jar. Each one of us has a large glass jar, and this glass jar is filled with white Skittles and red Skittles. Mm. Every one of us has a different number of white, different number of red, but we all have this jar. Now, the Skittles reflect our relationship with God. So the white Skittles, those are what brings us closer to God. Those are things like, like our faith and how much we believe in the God and what it says, or in the Bible and what it says, and our willingness to follow Jesus. And the red Skittles, these are the things that push us away from, from God or separate us from God. These are things like our disbelief or our sins. Um, and as Christians, we strive to have more and more white. We want that ratio of white to red to be larger every day. This is a progressive sanctification that Charlie talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, and for a comparison, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden with God, they would have had a jar full of white Skittles before the fall. Now, in this, in this scenario, there are two... Oh, the Maleys are here. I was hoping to hear some good... Welcome. Um, there are two ways to get closer to God in this scenario. One is we can add more white Skittles to our jar. And I think this is how, how humans like to get closer to God. We like sermons that, that lift us up. We like to read the Bible and go to Bible studies um, and learn about ways that we can improve our own life to, to have more white Skittles. So we may want to love people more because God says to love people or sacrifice for someone um, or, or show grace. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about the other, the other way that we can get closer to God. Because even if we added an infinite number of white Skittles to our, to our jar, we would never be where Adam and Eve were in the garden unless we removed those red Skittles. So today we're talking about how can we remove those red Skittles. 
And before we do that, we need to talk about what the red skittles are. So there are three types of red skittles, in my wow. opinion. The first one is red skittle number one. It's pretty creative. These, these are the skittles that we keep on the outside of our jar. So people, when they look at our jar, they can see these red skittles. Um, we keep them there on purpose. These are what I call our, our tolerable sins. These are the ones that we know are there. Maybe they're not on the top of our list of ones that we need to fix right away. Um, and they're the ones that people often present us with, and, and they're typically easy to fix. So these may be things like, I yelled at my kids today, or I was unloving to a coworker yesterday, or I give a second glance to that person again yesterday. But like I said, these are pretty easily identified, and if we focus on them, we can remove them ourselves. Now type number two, these are the ones that we keep a little bit deeper inside that jar. Other people can't see these Skittles as much. Um, these are the sins that, that we fear sharing. We don't want to share them because they make us, we're embarrassed by them, um, or they make us feel guilty. These are things like, maybe I, I physically abused someone yesterday, or I drank so much again last night, and this morning I woke up in jail. Um, I cheated on my spouse last week, or I fell victim to pornography again. Um, these are the, the sins that we don't want to share, but also that we can't resolve on our own. These are the ones that we, when we try to fix them, they just keep coming back to us. And in our jar, these, these Skittles multiply if we don't do anything about them. They, they, one becomes two, two becomes four. If we don't correct them soon enough, we have a lot of red Skittles. We're not going to talk about either one of those. We're not talking about number one or number two today. Today we're talking about red Skittle number three. And this Skittle is something that I don't believe Christians like to talk about at all. Red Skittle number two, we talk about at least in saying that it's there. <clears throat> Red skill number three, we don't even want to talk about. Don't, don't say that it's even there. And the reason for that is when we acknowledge that this Skittle's in our jar, that can sometimes feel like it is undermining our faith completely. Um, so this one's buried in the middle of our jar, and this one doesn't just multiply uh, like, like type two. This one actually transforms our white Skittles into red Skittles. So if we leave this one alone, we don't just slowly lose that ratio of white to red. We, we all of a sudden have a lot of red skills. And the white's dropping as quickly as the red is, is picking up. And this red skittle, this type number three, is what we call doubt. Mm -hmm. So doubt is it's a universal human experience. All of us experience doubt in different areas of our lives at different times to different extents. When I was... I met Angie on my birthday in 2010, August 7th, 2010. She's now my wife. The first couple weeks, we, we weren't really that into each other. And as things progressed, we, we're here now. So <laughs> something happened. <laughs> but one of our first dates, one of the first dates that I remember with her, um, I was going, we were living in Arkansas at the time, both of us. That's where I met her. I was meeting my two best friends from going up in Dallas, Texas, and we were going to meet there, and we were going to skydive for the very first time. Wow. And I invited Angie. I, they said it was cool if I invited her, and for some reason, she wanted to come and, and join us. So I remember driving up to where we were going to skydive, driving up to the runway. We passed this like decorative plane um, when we were turning in, and then we went into the hangar. And in the hangar, they... They give you a safety video and they show you what you're going to be doing. They introduce you to the people that you're going to get strapped to when you jump out of this plane at 10,000 feet. And I realized not too long after going through all of that, that I did not see another plane. And it turns out that that decorative plane that we, 
that we went by that looked like it'd been there for 200 years was the plane that we were going to take up into the sky. <laughs> I remember getting in this plane. There's duct tape on the windows. It has two sliding doors on both sides. It can probably hold five or six people. The, the left door was wired shut with a spool of wire that you get from Home Depot. And got inside, and they closed the right door, and they fastened it with wire. And I was thinking to myself, this might not be a good idea. Um, I was definitely doubting that decision at the time. And I didn't realize until we got to the top that they don't actually strap you onto the person with the parachute until you're just about to jump out of the plane. So the whole time I'm thinking, this thing's going down. There's no way that we're going to make it. Um, and I share that with you just to, just to describe that we have different types of doubts. Now, many of us, or most of us, if not all of us, have had some doubts in our faith as well. And those also present in different forms, in different ways. Um, and maybe doubt isn't the word that, that you would consider for yourself. Maybe it's disbelief, or fear, or hesitation, or skepticism, or uncertainty. But it can manifest in a lot of different ways. Perhaps you are or were doubtful about is God real, or is Jesus real? Is Jesus really the Son of God, or is this Bible that we're that we're so fo- focused on? Is is the Bible justified? Is there um, is there evidence supporting the Bible? Or maybe you're doubting your salvation. Was was my heart in the right place when I got baptized, or did I get baptized at the right age, or um, did I truly repent when I got baptized? Am I am I actually saved? Or maybe you're doubting God's love overall. Maybe. You're thinking to yourself, or you're going through something so tough or so so hard, you or someone that you love, they just can't believe that if God really is this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving person, how is it possible for me to go through what I'm going through? Or how is it possible that someone I love can go through what they're going through? Um, like I said, we, we just don't, I don't think we talk about doubt enough as Christians. We seem to talk about it with individuals when they're first starting to study the Bible, that was when I talked first about a lot of my doubts. And then it seems like when we get baptized, on, we just we don't talk about it anymore. Um, and I don't think that that's something that, that we should get in the habit of doing. I think it's, doubt is something that, um, that can stick around and, and can get worse and can turn those, those white Skittles into red Skittles if we don't do anything about them. So today's focus is we're going to take a look at the, at the Bible, look at the scriptures and see what does God's word tell us about doubt. Amen. And before we dive into the actual scriptures, I'm going to take a quick time out and tell you that of all the people that should be up here speaking to you about doubt, I feel like I'm the least qualified person to do that. And that's not because I'm not a preacher, and it's not because I don't enjoy being up here, but it's because my faith journey has been filled with these Red Skittle number threes. From, from the very beginning of me studying the Bible, um, it might be hard to find another person here who's had more of those skills in their jar. Um, unbelief has been my constant battle in my walk with God. When I was first studying the Bible, one of the brothers I was studying with uh, just encouraged me to find a scripture to cling on to, something that you just feel in your heart is important, and when you come upon certain experiences in your life, you can just fall back on that scripture. And mine was Mark nine twenty four, which says, Lord, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. And I still cling to that scripture all the time. So I'm not standing up here today because I don't have a red Skittle or I've overcome all my red Skittles. I'm standing up here today because God picked me because really I probably need this message more than any of you sitting out there. So today we're talking about Thomas. Thomas is one of the original 12 disciples. He has a nickname of Doubting Thomas. 
which we will get into. Um, and he appears only seven times in the Bible in seven scenes. Three of these scenes are just lists of the 12 disciples. And one of them, one of the seven is simply a list of some of the individuals, some of the disciples who were at a certain event. So really we have three scenes in the Bible about Thomas. And Thomas has a very interesting journey of his faith. He goes from believing in Jesus as, as a person to believing him as a Lord to transitioning from unbelief to fully believing in Jesus as, as the Son of God. We're not going to look at that transition today, but if you have time looking for something to do in a, in a quiet time in a Bible study, I'd encourage you to take a look at those. We have the Bible app that has the notes for this sermon, and I do have the, the other two scriptures that we're not going to talk about today in that app. So that's John 11 and John 14. But we're going to start today in John 20, so you can flip your Bibles there. Uh, we're going to start in verse 19, or open up your Bible, or go to the Bible app. Amen. And we're going to set the scene a little bit. Also, I prefer the New King James Version. So everything I read is going to be New King James. Um, a lot of us think have the NIV. But I'll also have the scriptures up on the, on the PowerPoint so you can see them there and read them there. So let's set the scene. We are in Jerusalem. Uh, it's another Sunday morning, except it just so happens to be that Jesus was crucified three days ago. Um, Mary wakes up goes to the tomb this morning, and she finds that Jesus is no longer there. His body is no longer there. So she runs and grabs Peter and John. Peter and John come and run to the tomb, and Jesus is still not there. Um, oh, we're not, you don't need to go there, but John 20, verse 9 says, For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. The disciples at this point in time did not understand the story as we understand it. They did not understand that Jesus needed to die and be resurrected three days later. For Christianity to be everything that it is today. So Peter and John take off to their houses. Um, Mary stays. An angel comes and speaks to her. And then Jesus comes and speaks to her. And we're going to pick up in verse 19. And I'm just going to go verse by verse. We'll stop after each verse. And, and we'll break it down as we, as we go along. Verse 19 reads, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. There are some important things that we need to know from these scriptures to understand this scene and understand this story. First is that the disciples were still afraid of the Jews. Um, the Jews just killed, uh, crucified their leader. Um, and as of this morning, all of a sudden, the body of that leader is no longer in the tomb where, where he previously was. So no doubt the... The disciples had gathered. They were talking about where is the body, what's going on. The doors are shut. We can presume this to mean that the doors were locked. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears out of nowhere. It doesn't say that he opened the door and walked in. It says that he, that he appeared amongst them. At first, you would think maybe the disciples should be really excited that their, that their leader just showed back up in this room. Um, but we can't forget that they just abandoned their, their leader at his biggest time, at, at, at the time of his biggest need. Um, so they were no doubt fearful of, of what Jesus was coming back for. Was he coming back for revenge? Was he coming back to rebuke them? Um, coming back to blame them? And that's why it's so important that, that Jesus says, Shalom, or, or peace be with you. He says, here I am, I, I come in peace. 
Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus proves to them that he is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the same one who was crucified three days ago, and he, he has been resurrected, and he's back. And this is when the, the disciples start to get glad, and they, and they are happy, and they start to realize what's, what's going on. Now, when I, before studying this scene out, I had in my mind that when I first see Jesus, he's going to look like Passion of the Christ Jesus or, or the Hollywood Jesus. He's going to look like the Jesus who has been crucified and he's going to have a couple of marks on his hands and his feet. But otherwise, he's going to be, he's going to have that perfect complexion and he's going to be radiant. Um, and I realized after going through this that that's probably not accurate at all. I think, I think it's important to think about what we might see when we do see Jesus for the first time. If we see marks on his hands and his feet, he's likely going to have every other mark that he received during that beating and from his time on the cross. Um, and I, I just think that's something that, that, we, should, that we should ponder and, and expect and, and be ready for. So let's carry on in verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace, or I'm sorry, we're actually going to skip 21 through 23. And I didn't do this. So 21 through 23, we could do a whole sermon on, on itself, but it doesn't really pertain to what we're talking about with doubt today. So we're going to carry over or jump over to, to verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there. Uh, the scriptures don't seem to criticize Thomas for not being there. Uh, but certainly Thomas missed out on meeting Jesus for the first time because he was not with the other disciples. But there's something else important here. Thomas called the twin. In John 11, Thomas is also referred to as the twin. Now back in these days, Jews had two different names. They had the name that they had within their own circle of Jews, the, the Jews that they spent most time with. Um, and that was their Hebrew name. And for Thomas, his name was Thomas. But outside of that group, they also had another name um, for the larger Jewish population, people that they didn't hang out with. Uh, and this was the, the Greek name, and his name was Didymus, which means twin. And there are some different ideas for, for why he was called the twin. The first one is that Thomas was Jesus' twin. And I don't think there's any evidence in the scriptures for that. The second one is that Thomas has a twin. Um, that could certainly be the case, but everything in the Bible has a reason for it being in there. And I just, I, I can't figure out why it would matter that Twice out of the three times that we really learned about Thomas, it's mentioned that he has a twin. It's, it's not really pertinent to the story. So what I think is the, the most realistic and probably the most truthful idea is that Thomas looked like Jesus, and so they therefore called him twin. Um, I think this is plausible because it justifies why it's mentioned twice, and it's important for us to think about from Thomas's perspective in terms of why he has the reputation that he does. Um, if indeed he did look like Thomas, or did look like Jesus, then chances are he probably was persecuted to a higher level than, than the majority of the other disciples. Verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. There's so much packed into this scripture. First, Thomas has been spending the last couple of years with his disciples, with Jesus, and probably could not come up with a 
another group of 10 people that would be more reliable to listen to, to testimony. Now, he has the, the 10 other disciples coming to him saying, we saw Jesus, you should believe. And from our perspective now, it seems like he probably should have believed. But again, we, we know the story. We know what Jesus was going through or what Jesus was going to do for us. So it's important here to look at Thomas. And this is where he gets um, this in John 14. But this is where he gets his, his nickname of, of Doubting Thomas. But it's important to look at Thomas's reaction in terms of he was very honest about his unbelief, um, and that's something that I need we something that we need to draw from this. Um, not only does he proclaim his his uh, doubt to to the disciples, but he he seems to know the borders of his doubt. He knows what it would take for his doubt to transition from doubt to faith. And we also need to look at why, why did he react this way? It could very well be that Thomas is a more skeptical individual than the other disciples. And therefore, Doubting Thomas is a justifiable nickname. But we can't forget that Thomas just saw his Lord being crucified. And he's in the situation where, where he doesn't 100% believe. And I think we need to, we need to consider that, that it might be better for him and for the rest of the disciples that that he is brutally honest in his, in his declaration of not fully believing. So John 20, or uh, verse 26, And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Mm. Now, on the Jewish calendar, the Jewish calendar counts the day that you are currently in. Um, Eight days would be the following Sunday from the previous time that, that Jesus spoke with the disciples. So this is important or, or interesting rather because now we have on the first two Sundays after the crucifixion, we have Jesus coming and visiting the disciples on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday. Um, and it's believed to be that that is why we meet on Sunday mornings is because Jesus met those first two Sundays after his crucifixion. But Jesus enters this room in the same mysterious and remarkable way, likely through a locked door. Um, and what's interesting here is that the door is still locked. The disciples already have seen Jesus. They know that he's resurrected. They know that he's back. But they don't understand the magnitude of what is happening. In verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. I think we need to put ourselves in Thomas's footsteps in this scripture. Um, you're in a room with all your disciples. They claim to have seen the resurrected Jesus. Jesus appears out of nowhere. And then he zeroes in on you. And he calls you out for a doubt that you spoke to the disciples in a room when Jesus was not present. This is a rebuke so covered in love that, that it's, it's hard to even see what Jesus is doing as a rebuke. But he's rebuking Thomas here. He's reminding Thomas that, that Thomas, I am present always, even when you cannot see me. Mm. And then he throws in, he, he throws in this, this dagger of do not be unbelieving, but believing. And to me, this feels like when, when you're a child and you're getting disciplined by, by a parent, um, there are different levels, levels of discipline. I, Sometimes you get grounded. Sometimes you get yelled at. Uh, the one that I feared the most was when, when my father would be in the situation that I put him in, and he would have to say, Trevor, I'm, I'm disappointed in you. He wouldn't have to say anything else. 
Um, no other discipline is necessary. But when your father says, I'm disappointed in you, you know that you did something wrong. And I think that, that this is sort of the tone that, that Jesus has towards Thomas in, in, this, in this scene. Is, Thomas, you spent so much time with me. You know, you know who I am. You know what I can do. You have believed. Why are you unbelieving? Stop your unbelief. It's time to start believing. Verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. This is a short, short verse, but it's important to look at. Thomas, as we looked at earlier, knew what the boundaries were to his doubt. And I think that that's important for us to take away. When we doubt, we need to, we need to formulate questions or boundaries so that if those doubts can be answered, we are prepared to move forward and follow Thomas's footsteps yeah. from unbelief to belief. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus acknowledges Thomas's immediate change to faith. But then what's even more remarkable is that he, he promises a blessing to those people who cannot and will not be able to see Jesus like Thomas is able to do. And this verse is speaking to us today. This is how 2,000 years later we are able to, to seek solace in, in Jesus Christ and to trust in what he's done uh, because he, he has laid it out for it to be that way. We're going to combine 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So this scene about Thomas, all the other scenes in the book of John, they were specifically written and selected by John so that you and I can believe in Jesus Christ and believe him to be the Savior that he was for us. Um, now, we, after this verse, and there's one more where he's listed, uh, we sort of lose track of, of Thomas in the scriptures. But there are some other texts outside of our Bible that, that follow Thomas. He went on to, to evangelize part of Asia and was eventually martyred for, for his faith, for, for following Jesus in Christianity. Now these scriptures, this, this scene, it, it's dense with a lot of information. It's, it's fairly short overall, but there's a lot of information in it. And I wanted to walk away today with, with what I call gospel gems. And we'll have three of them. Um, the first thing that I think we need to take away from, from this story is that doubt can strengthen faith. Amen. I originally had this as doubt strengthens faith, but I don't think that that is, is always true. I think that it can strengthen faith. But in order for it to strengthen faith, we have to have a couple of things happen or surrounding our doubt. The first one, and we, we learned this from Thomas, is that we have to be honest about our doubt. We need to know the borders of our doubt. If you have a doubt, you need to, you need to formulate, like I mentioned earlier, some questions yeah. that if they get answered, that doubt is no longer a doubt in your mind. Um, if we don't do that, then we're just letting that doubt fester in our jar and it's going yeah. to turn into something bad. It's going to turn into more red Skittles. The other, the other part that we need to be the case if we want doubt to strengthen our faith is that we have to share our doubts. If Thomas would not have shared his doubts with the disciples, I don't know that this would have ended the same way for Thomas. 
Um, he shared them with his disciples, and that allowed him to really overcome this doubt. But, but more importantly, or maybe not more importantly, but it's interesting to think about how this whole scene affected the other disciples. So Thomas had explained his doubts to the disciples. Jesus came, called him out for them, and he was, I'm sure, shocked and overwhelmed by Jesus' ability to to have heard what he said, even though he wasn't present. But the same thing probably happened with the other disciples, too. They were present, knowing that Jesus wasn't there when Jesus, or when Thomas stated his doubts, and they probably had a similar reaction. So I think it's important to think about our doubts, if we can overcome them, will help us, but I think they will also help help the greater congregation. Number two is that Jesus is listening. He's always listening. He's still listening. There's a verse in Matthew 28 that says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We should be living like Jesus is walking beside us, like Jesus is in the room with us, even if we can't see him. Uh, and we can, we can trust that fact because it happened to Thomas, and we probably will never doubt more, more than Thomas did. And we need to bring our doubts to Jesus. Um, but we also need to know that, that Jesus doesn't want us to doubt. In that scene with Thomas, when he calls him out for being unbelieving and wants him to start believing, Jesus isn't hoping that each one of us has doubts along our path. He's just simply acknowledging the fact that, that doubt is something that we, we have in our human nature and, and we need to be ready for and prepared to deal with. And the last one is that Jesus is the answer. So one of the things, one of the ways that Christianity is separated from the other religions of the world is that its holy text, the Bible, actually has a condition in it that says, if this is not true, then this Bible is not true. And we can find that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And it reads, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. In other words, if there's no resurrection, then Christianity is not Christianity. Then we are all here for no reason, and we are not saved, and we quite honestly shouldn't be here. Uh, We're not going to get into today the the evidence supporting the resurrection. That is another sermon in itself. But if you have questions, I'm passionate about that, and I love it, and I love to talk to you about it. But there's no doubt that Thomas... Thomas's doubt is greater than any of our doubts will ever be. Thomas lived with, walked with, spoke with, ate with Jesus, and he still doubted if he was resurrected or not. Um, so we should not be thinking that our doubt is so great that it cannot be overcome, that Jesus cannot overcome it. And also, we should not be thinking that we shouldn't have doubt. Although Jesus doesn't want doubt, it's not, it, it is present. If, if Thomas can have it, if a disciple can have it, we shouldn't expect that we will never have it. We shouldn't be ashamed when we do have it, but we need to be ready to, to overcome it when it arises. And I also think, and I'll finish with this, that it's, it's not, um, what's the word? It, it's by design that the, the resolution to Thomas's doubt was the, the healed wounds of Jesus Christ from being on the cross. Um, there, 
any, any doubt that we could ever have about our faith, if we can go back to Jesus on the cross, go back to the fact that he was resurrected, we can overcome any doubt, and Jesus can help us overcome it. Amen. Amen. Amen.